0: I have a painting that I want to show you. This painting is one of the most famous paintings in the world. It's entitled The Starry Night, uh, and it hangs in the New York Museum of Modern Art. And the tragedy and beauty of this painting is made all the more poignant if you know the background story of the person who painted it. The Starry Night was painted by Vincent van Gogh. Vincent van Gogh was born in 1853. His father and his grandfather were Protestant pastors, and Vincent van Gogh uh, desperately wanted to engage in a life of ministry. He was, for a season, a pastor, and then for another season, a missionary, but by his account, he was a failure at both of those. In 1880, he turned his attention to artwork with the purpose of preaching through art, trying to tell the world about God and about what was going on in his own soul as a way of sharing good news with people. This painting uh, he painted in 1889. Now, I said the tragedy and the beauty of this painting uh, is in the story that goes behind it. Well, in 1889, Vincent van Gogh was in a mental institution dealing with the effects of mental illness. In less than a year, he would be dead. What I find so powerful and so haunting about this picture is that can you tell, it's a little hard to see maybe from the back, but do you see there's a village down here at the bottom? Okay, this is a nice village, and the most outstanding feature of the village is, do you see the church and the steeple? Uh, This gives the sense of, you know, God's presence, but the problem is, is that little steeple swallowed up by this vast night sky. And you see in the night sky, it takes up probably, what, two-thirds of the painting, You can see, and if you see it in person, the brushstrokes, really thick paint, and Van Gogh is trying to get across sort of the the, the confusion and the chaos as things are swirling around. It's noteworthy that in the painting, there are these significant points of light in the sky. For Van Gogh, yellow and uh, those points of light, those represent God and hope. And they add a beauty to the painting But the problem is, is that they uh, appear to be swallowed up, threatened to be swallowed up by the swirling chaos all around them. Even the tree to the left-hand side is blowing in the wind, it seems to be. And that in the midst of the sky, you have this turbulent uh, air blowing around, and the chaos and the confusion. Perhaps you resonate with the emotions of this painting. We just finished a sermon series in the book of Isaiah in which we talked about the immense God, the holy God who fills the whole universe. And week after week, we said, holy, 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 the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. But if we're honest, even though God is in control of all things, Sometimes our lives feel like this. They feel out of control. We see points of light where God is clearly present. We attend a church service and we feel his presence. We see a a gift of grace, but it's all threatened to be swallowed up by the night sky swirling around us. And our lives, to be honest, feel chaotic and out of control. Parents who have school-age children, maybe you felt that this summer. When the constraints of school and the schedules were gone and then all of a sudden there was just freedom and that freedom started to feel like chaos. And maybe in the quiet of your heart, you'd never say it to your kids. You're glad for the school year to be starting because there is some structure and there's some order. But perhaps for school age students and for parents, you've looked at the coming year. And you've started to put in all the dates into the calendar for the sporting events and the tryouts for the play and the practices and all the classes and the tests and the homework, and suddenly the swirling is back and it feels like this school year is going to be chaotic and difficult. Maybe you feel this way about your finances. There are points of light where you can point to how God specifically showed up and blessed And provided, but still your finances feel like they're swirling out of control. There's a little steeple somewhere in your finances, but it's swallowed up by the vast night sky and all the things that you have to pay for. Maybe you feel this way about work, things at your company or at your job swirling out of control. Maybe you're retired and you thought finally I'm going to have some time to myself and all the different things you're supposed to be doing and without the structure of a workday, you're feeling that swirling wind of the chaos of the starry night. Maybe you feel this about just all the good things that need to happen. So many things to do. How can we possibly do all those things in the time that we have allotted to us? And you see, there are blessings, glimpses of God's glory. And that Isaiah God who fills the sky with the sun and the light of his radiance, you see it peeking through the clouds, through the starry night. But still, the vast feeling of life is chaos, spiraling out of control. And the question is, Even though God is in control of all things, past, present, and future, the reality is most of us, if not all of us, live life in such a way that God's control seems distant and far off and that our lives feel out of control. And the question is, what does God have to say about such a situation? I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Titus. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the rack in front of you. If you're not still open to the book of Titus, it's page 965. This morning, we're beginning a series which will take us through the school year from the book of Titus and the big idea is thinking about even though God is in control of all things, our lives often feel out of control. And what does God have to say into the middle of that situation? Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, that leads to godliness. Paul is telling us that his job as an apostle, one of his jobs, is to take those who are believers in Jesus and further our faith, to cause us to grow in our faith. How? The knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Godliness is the goal. Knowledge is not the goal. Truth is not even the goal. Paul says there is a knowledge that leads to truth and a truth that creates godliness. So what is godliness? Turn over to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. These are the key verses in the book of Titus. They may have stood out to you as you heard them read earlier. It says in chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, Titus is written to help us live lives in this present age while we wait for Jesus to return. We just spent four weeks at the end of Isaiah talking about the return of Jesus. And the question is, how should we live now in light of the fact that Jesus is returning while we're waiting for him to return? And Paul says, yes, God is in control of all things, the past, the present, and the future. But this same God who controls all things that we looked at from a sort of 30,000-foot view in Isaiah wants to teach us how to live life in such a way that during this present age, we experience blessing and peace and grace. It's good news that when Jesus returns to this earth, he will set up a kingdom that is full of life and joy and peace. But the book of Titus is written to teach us you and I can experience some of that blessing and joy and peace now. It's designed to help us live life. And the goal is godliness. What is godliness? Well, in the verses we just looked at, you see in verse 12, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So to understand godly or godliness, notice that there are two words that are used in connection with it. The first is self-control. This is an important word for the book of Titus. Let me show you just a few places. Again, you might have heard it as we read through the whole book. But chapter one, verse eight, these are the qualifications for an elder. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is what? Self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Chapter 2, verse 2 Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, and what? Self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure. Chapter 2, verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. It's a key concept for the book of Titus. Now, what I find so interesting is that our English word is self-controlled. Now, why that's surprising to me is self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the spirits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit, which means the Spirit produces it. But notice, it's not called spirit-controlled. It's called what? Self-control. Which means that God's spirit changes our lives so that we are able to exercise control over what is happening. God is in control of all things. The world around us feels out of control. The blessing of the Spirit is that he transforms us so that we are under control. The second word that's used in connection with godliness is the word upright. Self-controlled and upright. In English, upright just means to stand upright. And it gives the idea that in the wind and the waves and the swirling of the starry night... The Christian who is living in accordance with what Titus says, stands upright in the midst of the trouble at job or in finances or relationships or all the difficulties of school and life to be able to stand upright while everything around you is falling apart. In Greek, it just simply means right, to live right. That does mean to live morally right, but also just simply means To live right. Like this is the right way to live life. To live life the way God designed life to be lived. So putting these together, this is the definition of godliness that I'd like us to think about as we go through the book of Titus. Godliness is a way of living life. There are lots of ways of living life, Godliness is a way of living life that is empowered by God, controlled by God, directed by God, pleasing to God, and in accordance with how God designed for life to be lived. Godliness is a way of living life. And God says, look, I'm not just the God of Isaiah who is holy, 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 the Lord Almighty, who fills the whole universe, who heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. I'm not just that God. I am the God who teaches you how to live life, who empowers you to live life, who guides you, who brings his power to bear on the subjects and the things that you and I are struggling with. And godliness is the way to live life so that you experience these things. It reminds me of another Van Gogh painting. This one is called The Sower. This hangs in a museum in the Netherlands. It was painted in 1888. This evokes very different emotions in me and perhaps it does in you as well. Do you see the sun shining on the horizon? This represents God, the bright yellows that Van Gogh loves. This represents the joy and the hope of God front and center in the middle of the painting. You may notice in comparison or in contrast to the starry night, the starry night, lots of wavy, curvy lines, much more straight lines here, a more linear, organized, structured life. The person who is walking through the fields sowing seed. This is the sower, and the sense is: as all around him is life, and that he's participating in creation. The sun is shining down; uh, the plants are growing as they should be. That he is one with creation. It's also based on the parable that Jesus taught, called the sower, and in that parable, the man is spreading the gospel. Sowing the seeds of life, and he is in harmony with what God means for him to be doing. And this painting evokes within me joy and peace. The purpose of the book of Titus is to move us from the starry night, let me show you what that looks like again, to the sower to move from the swirling chaos of life to a life that is lived under the sunshine of God's love, life that is lived in a godly way, self-controlled, holy, upright, disciplined, living life empowered by God, directed by God, pleasing to God, living life the way it was meant to be lived. Now, I just want to say a few things about the sermon series uh, as we get ready to embark on it this next year. Number one, in many ways, this is a sermon series that I've been preparing my whole life to preach. Mm -hmm. I'm a youngest child. I was a strong-willed child. I was not by nature self-controlled or upright or godly. I was the kind of person who uh, didn't do homework when you had to do homework. I just simply did it at the very last moment you could get away doing it and still potentially pass. I was the person who spent money I didn't have. The younger version of myself was not the one who watched a television program. I tried to watch everything on television at the same time. I had regular experiences where I would start playing video games at 9 or 10 at night, and about 9 or 10 the next morning, I would think, I'm feeling kind of tired. Maybe I should go to bed. (laughs) I'm the kind of person who loves to stay up till 2 and 3 in the morning by nature. I'm the kind of person who, at least I was, who whatever thought entered my head, I just said it without thinking whether I should say it or not. I was not... A structured, organized, upright Self-controlled, disciplined, godly person And you know what? I thought my life was fantastic I so desperately want to go back To that younger version of myself And say, you don't know what you're missing Because to be honest, although life was fun I would make all sorts of I would say yes to anything I was ever asked to do And then try to figure out How am I going to do all this stuff? It felt fun, but it was barely controlled chaos. Always on the edge, whether financially or when it came to homework or when it came to relationships or social activities. It was always, it was a boom or bust sort of cycle. And it was barely controlled chaos. And I thought, well, this is just the way life has to work. It's not how God designed life to work. He designed it to feel more like this. He designed it to feel peace and joy and control. And I want to tell my younger self, you don't know what you're missing. There's far more freedom in living life the way God designed life to be lived. There's far more joy. There's far more peace. And although I still have a ways to go, I so desperately want to go back to my younger self and say, read Titus. God knows that what you're doing is out of control. Now, you may sit there and think, yeah, but that wasn't me when I was younger, or that's not me right now. Maybe you resonate more with what my wife is like or used to be like. When I met her at 23, she had a daytimer. You know what a daytimer is? It was sort of this thing that you just wrote all your tasks in. At 23, she had had it for at least 10 years. And not only did she have a day timer with everything written down and all the tasks that she, she accomplished more in a day than I would get done in months. She kept every one of those previous year's day timers nicely filed in boxes at home with year and date. So if she ever needed to go back and figure out what was I doing on this day, she could go back and see what tasks she was working on. When I met her, she was the kind of person who would buy Christmas presents for people in July. I'm just trying to get through the 4th of July and trying to figure out how this works. She's already thinking ahead to Christmas. She hated surprises. I found that out when I threw her a surprise party. She doesn't like surprises. You know what else she hated? Open mic sharing day at church. It felt out of control to her. She wanted to stop each person and get them to write out what they were going to say, have it edited, and then say it. In fact, she wrote these two paragraphs that I just gave you. (laughs) Absolutely true story. (laughs) But what she would want to tell her former self is that her life was also out of control. It may have looked more structured and more organized, but the attempt to control everything is just as out of control as trying to control nothing. And that the idea of me just doing whatever came into my mind whenever I felt like doing it and her trying to do exactly what the rules said, exactly what would turn out to be successful, both of those are versions of the starry night. Both of those, when you try to control everything or when you try to control nothing, everything still feels chaotic. And what she wants to go back and tell her former self is the same thing that I want to tell my former self, there is a better way to live. And that God is spelling out for us a way to live that is not controlled by rules or not controlled by cravings and desires, but is controlled by the spirit. A way to live that is empowered by God, not by guilt, and not by pleasure, but by God. A way that is a way to live that is right, in which when you live it, you think, this is right, this feels good. There are still troubles, there are still difficulties, but this is right. And wherever you are on the personality spectrum, and however you want to chart that out, and however you look at life, none of us by nature, are self-controlled, upright, disciplined, and godly. But the gift of God is he can make us that way. The gift of God is we don't have to stay like we are. This is why God allows us to go through valleys and troubles and spiritual wastelands and exiles. It's why he allows us to read 66 books and think, who could ever do all of this stuff? He lets these things happen so we can realize life is beyond our control. And so we can come to him humbly and say, Lord, teach me how to live life. And the book of Titus is about how to live life in such a way that the sun shines down. The work you're engaged in is meaningful and productive. And life has some semblance of the power and blessing and glory of God. The world's out of control. we're in control the second thing and this is probably obvious but i need to state it up front by the end of our series on titus we will not have fixed everything (laughs) your lives will not be perfectly in control my life will not be perfectly in control we will not be perfectly godly you know that of course why have i said this because one of the temptations that satan uses is he can make us think you're never going to get there so why even try There's too much to do to bring the swirling chaos into order. There's too much that has to change. You'll never get there. Don't even give it a tempt. And I just want to say, please, that is a lie from Satan. And the purpose for this series this year is not to fix everything. The purpose for this series this year is just to encourage you, take a step forward. If life is spiraling out of control at school or in relationships or in finances or in how you're engaged at church or wherever it may be, the encouragement is let's not get everything fixed so that by this point next year, we just say we're done. Just take a step forward in whatever area. Don't be intimidated by what the scriptures have to say about how life can be lived. Be inspired. Inspired that if at the end of a sermon or at the end of the year, you just say, you know what? I feel like God's control is a little bit more prevalent in my life than it was when we started. You're going about it the right way. Third, this fits with the second point. The goal is not knowledge or truth, but godliness. Which means this year, especially as we go through and listen to these sermons, we don't just want to be hearers of the word, we want to be doers. And I'm asking you to commit yourself to what God wants done and what he wants to do is teach you a new way to live certain aspects of your life. He doesn't want to teach you about your life but to show you how to live life. There is a reason why Jesus came and incarnated himself on this earth and taught us how to live and didn't just hand us the manual. He showed us what it looked like to live life and if we're going to follow him, we need to not just think what he thought, we need to do what he did. And so the goal this year is, look, as you come week after week, commit yourself to saying, look, Lord, I want just, Help me figure out what I need to do. And the goal is not just knowledge. And if you come and all year long you sit there and go, that's really interesting, I didn't know that, and do nothing about it, the promises of Titus will not happen. And then fourth and finally, you may be thinking, what exactly are we doing this year? (laughs) Like, Titus is not very long. Are we really going to spend an entire school year in this book we already preached verse 1 and verses 11. Through. We're almost done. It's three chapters. We read the whole thing. What exactly are we going to be spending our time doing? Good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> We're going to be in the book of Titus this year, sort of. What I mean by that is the purpose of the book of Titus is to compel us and to urge us and to encourage us to live godly lives. But it doesn't contain all of the instructions to detail out what does that look like. So what we're going to do this year is we're going to do a topical series, which is sort of new for us. We're going to do a topical series, but we're letting Titus choose the topics. Titus wants to talk about how to live life, and so we're like, well, this is the book to get the topics from. But when Titus talks about self-control, for example, it just simply says, be self-controlled. It doesn't explain how to be self-controlled when it comes to technology, or how to be self-controlled when it comes to food, or how to be self-controlled when it comes to sexual relationships. It doesn't talk about how to be self-controlled when it comes to work. Those are the kinds of things we want to talk about. We're going to do it from other places within the scripture, but we're allowing Titus, God, to choose through Titus what the topics are going to be. And so the plan for the year is, Titus says, teach sound doctrine. We're not going to study the verse that says teach sound doctrine. We're going to go through a nine-week series on sound doctrine so that we can do what Titus is telling us to do. So the purpose of Titus is to impress upon us the value of a godly life. The rest of the scriptures are there to help us understand more fully what would a godly life look like. And so as we come to this series, we'll be touching base in Titus often. But it will be a little more like the last four weeks in Isaiah where we used Isaiah as the launching off point to talk about uh, future. We'll be using Titus as the launching off point to talk about how to live godly lives. But we'll be using all of the scriptures to understand those topics in more depth and more detail. Make sense? So I invite you to come with us on this journey. If you in any way feel like your life is more like the starry night, things spiraling, swirling out of control, managing schedule or money or struggles or difficulties, Please know that the Lord sees you. He's not just dwelling on his throne in the universe with his feet rested on the earth with seraphim declaring holy, holy, holy. He also is a God who is near, who wants to shine his light on our lives, who wants to bring the crazy chaos under some level of control, who wants to give us joy and peace and patience who wants us to live life the way it was meant to be lived. And all you and I have to do is not get in his way of doing that. Our God loves us so much that he sent his son to come and win for us new life and to teach us how to live that life. Let's pray together. Father, here we are, and we're ready for this journey. Thank you, God, that you are not just a God who is far off, who fills the majesty of the universe, but you are a God who is near to us. Lord, I thank you for the transformations that I've experienced, that Lisa's experienced, that others within this church have experienced. God, of moving us from uncontrolled chaos to godliness, self-control, and uprightness. Lord, each one of us needs to take another step on that journey. And so, Lord, I pray for us individually and us collectively as a church. God, for the students getting ready to go back to school. Uh, God, for parents trying to deal with those things. For those in the midst of retirement, those who've lost loved ones, those who're struggling at work things. God, I pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us now saying that we are not alone. Uh, God, that you are the creator of life, that you are the author and perfecter, Jesus, And so help us to fix our eyes on you that we might learn to live life rightly. And God, thank you that your sun shines down on us in all grace and mercy and peace. And God, thank you that through your spirit, we can be filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. And yes, indeed, even self-control. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.